Hi, this is Timothy Pig, and I want to welcome you to Text Driven Podcast, a podcast put out by the Ministry of Fellowship Church in Southwest Florida. Text Driven Podcast exists to equip you to know God and make Him known through text driven preaching and practice. To learn more about Fellowship Church, visit our website, fellowshipchurch.co. Hey, welcome to another episode of Texture Podcast, and today we're going to be talking uh, about Edward T. Welch's book, When People Are Big and God is Small. We've been in the middle of a series walking through this, and it's a great book to help us understand who God is and how uh, oftentimes what we do is we allow other people to influence us to such an extent that we see them as more important than God. Uh, we see them as big in our life. They end up controlling us. They end up, their opinions dictate our behaviors and our attitudes. And uh, the consequence of that is they become big, God becomes small. So what we've been walking through with Welch's book is looking at how a text-driven life comes out of our understanding that God is big. Or to put it in biblical terms, simply the fear of the Lord. And as we grow in the fear of the Lord, we need to see his beauty and see who he is and how majestic and how awesome of a God he is. We also looked at him as creator and how that gives us this grand picture of the bigness of God as well. And in today's episode, we're going to just continue along that same line of thinking of these attributes of God, these things about God. We've looked at him as creator. We've looked at his beauty. But today, we're going to look at a topic that is not talked about very much in our current culture, but it was talked about a lot in the New Testament. It's kind of something that is taboo to speak about in our current culture, but it was certainly something that our Lord spoke about a whole lot. And he actually talked about this topic more than any other uh, topic um, in the New Testament. So what is that topic? What are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about hell. We're going to talk about God's wrath and God's judgment. And this is what Welch enunciates for us. And as we think about God's wrath, when we think about God's judgment, when we think about eternal damnation, when we think about a place called hell, it helps us to grow in the fear of the Lord. And I want to show you how in today's episode, okay? So if you do have your uh, book of When People Are Big and God Is Small, go ahead and grab it. And let's uh, begin diving in and looking at uh, the rest of chapter 7 uh, today, okay? So we're going to begin on page 123. And I, and I want to begin uh, reading that section is called The Fear of the Lord, God's Wrath. And I want to just dive in here, this first paragraph, so important. Let's look at it. Jesus, it says, the servant of whom Isaiah spoke was crushed for us. Therefore, if we believe and turn from our sins, we are not crushed. We have been rescued from deadly peril and endless pain. But as we get farther from the day we were rescued, do we remember what we were saved from? Do we remember that we should have been crushed by God's wrath. Do we realize that from our perspective, the cross is the greatest injustice that will ever be? 
the perfect one crushed in the place of sinners. And do we remember that we will be a divine judgment when God's wrath will be revealed? And then he ends with this quote in that first paragraph. Hell teaches us about the fear of the Lord. Let's talk about that first paragraph for a second. Without Christ, we sit as the objects of God's wrath. We are sinners. And God, because of his holiness and because he is just, he must punish sin. Sin is disobedience to him. To to create a law like he did and for mankind to break that law and to not have a consequence for that law would undermine his holiness, would undermine justice. So because of sin and because we are all sinners and we have all fallen short of the glory of God, we now sit in direct line to the ob- as objects of God's wrath and judgment. That's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wage of sin is death. Death, eternal damnation, eternal separation from God is his judgment for disobedience. So, as Christians, we have been rescued from that judgment because we have believed that Jesus died, received the the, the judgment that we deserved from the Father, He died on a cross, the death that we deserved, and rose again, claiming victory over sin and death on resurrection morning. Now, this is what Christians have been spared from. We have been spared from God's wrath and from God's judgment. And I don't know about you, but I I, I remember when I gave my life to to Christ, uh, it was a, a relief. I am no longer the object of God's wrath. I'm no longer the object of God's judgment. And, and, and I, it was almost like a freeing aspect to it. But as Welch points out, is it not true that the further away we get from, from that day when we experienced death to life, going from a slave to sin to a servant of God, we went from from bondage and chains to to being free. Isn't it true that the further away from that date that we have gotten, the less we think about it, the the less that we we sit and meditate and dwell on the fact that we were once the objects of God's judgment and wrath. So I think Jesus in the New Testament, speaks so much about hell for for two reasons. Number one, he he speaks about hell so that those who are still in their sin would recognize that they are the objects of God's wrath. But then secondly, 
I think he speaks about hell in the New Testament to also remind us who are believers who have received Jesus, who, who believe that Christ died in our place. He died for us to remind us of just how big and how great and awesome God is. Welch goes on to talk about how our culture has just minimized this, this concept of hell. On page 124, he says this, and I quote, Today, the majority of Americans believe in God, heaven, and angels, but fewer and fewer believe there is a hell. Hell is unpopular, even among conservative Bible students. I suspect, however, that it is not so much that hell is unpopular these days. Perhaps it is too popular. He goes on to explain uh, what he means by that. And I quote on page 124, he says, let me explain. We know God, we have a conscience that tells us right from wrong. We know that we do not measure up to God's glory. And, and we know we deserve his wrath. But the thought of hell is too terrible to face. Remember, we prefer to think about low self-image rather than nakedness before God. Remember, we go back to that discussion. Uh, let's take a break right here. and Let's talk about this for just a second. Remember, we go back to that discussion that we had several episodes of, uh, ago. Um, fear, one of the fears that we have is to be exposed. So, so we cover ourselves. We hide our guilt and our shame, our nakedness, by what? By uh, our resumes and by uh, credit card debt or by... Uh, putting on a, a hypocritical face or being uh, religious or, or by some other means. But we, we want to cover up really who we are because we know inwardly that we're exposed and guilty and, and shameful. But we can never escape the gaze of God. He sees through our hypocrisy and sees us as we are, naked, guilty, and shameful. And that's why he desires to clothe us, not in our good, but in his goodness and righteousness through Jesus. So let's get back to what um, Welch is saying here on page 124. He says, we, I quote, we are good at avoiding the holiness of God. In the same way, there are powerful spiritual forces that lead us to minimize the terror of hell. We know innately that we are sinners. Romans chapter 1 teaches that. We know innately that God exists, but we suppress that. Therefore, we know innately through our conscience that, that what we are doing is not right before a holy God, but we don't mind it. So we minimize that there's going to be a consequence for our sinful behavior. Ultimately, what we're doing is we're minimizing hell. But as Welch explains to us, it is Jesus who is the one who rescues us from hell. Notice some things that Jesus said in the New Testament. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, Jesus said this, Anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Matthew chapter 7 verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
Mark chapter 9, verses 43 through 44 says, If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. For it is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And then you got John 3, verse 18. Whoever believes in him, or Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. And you have Matthew 25, verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So Jesus, in his earthly ministry, talked an awful lot about hell and spoke about it in the terms of condemnation, the judgment of God. Welch uh, says on page 125, consider Matthew 10, 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And he says how John Calvin said that this text makes one's hair stand on end. And when you look at gospel preaching throughout the centuries, you find that much of the revival movements, the awakening movements, the, the movements of entire nations to God, where you saw this influx of people getting saved, came because of preachers preaching on the topic of hell. And why is that? Because what hell does is it revives in us a fear of the Lord. One notable preacher who did this was Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards uh, preached in Massachusetts. He was a, a well-known uh, preacher. And one of the sermons that he was most um, famously known for was a sermon that he preached in Enfield, Connecticut on July 8th, 1741. The title of that sermon was Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Now think about that. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. A God who is full of justice. Another sermon title that he had came from Romans chapter 2, verse 4, and he preached this uh, sermon. The justice of God in the damnation of sinners. Now, let me just read to you here uh, what Welch quotes of one of Edward's sermons. You ready? Listen, listen to this on page 125 and 126. He says this. Uh, this is a illustration. This is an excerpt from Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He says this. There is nothing that keeps wicked men at any one moment out of hell but the mere pleasure of God. The wrath of God is like great waters that are damned for the present. They increase more and more and rise higher and higher till an outlet is given. And the longer the stream is stopped, the more rapid and mighty is its course when once it is set loose. The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider, a loathsome insect over the flame. His wrath towards you burns like fire. 
He is of purer eyes than to bear to have you in his sight. You have offended him infinitely more than ever a stubborn rebel did his prince. O sinner, consider the fearful danger you are in. It is a great furnace of wrath, a wide and bottomless pit. You hang by a slender thread with the flames of divine wrath flashing about it. Can you imagine sitting in the audience when Edwards is preaching that? The vivid imagery of dangling over the the fiery wrath of God by just a thin thread that every time the flames are ignited uh, hotter and hotter, the, the thread begins to singe and you fall into the hands of a God of wrath, a God of judgment. What does sermons like this do? They conjure up in us a fear of the Lord. God becomes the one who is now worthy of our obedience. The God becomes one who is worthy of our attention and our affections and our worship. We, we begin to see ourselves as very small and God is very large and big and powerful. Welch has this quote, listen to it on page 126 through 127. It says, here's the truth about hell. When a person dies apart from faith in Jesus, there is no possible deliverance from eternal hell. There is no relief from torment. And worst of all, it is the holy wrath of God that is poured out. Such knowledge led the apostle Paul to say, Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. This is what we deserve. This is the wrath, the crushing that Jesus took on himself for us. We should tremble at the thought. We should tremble because it could have been us who were crushed because of our sin. We should tremble because we live in the presence of a divine love that is absolutely astonishing. And against the backdrop of hell, we should tremble at the thought of heaven. How could it possibly be? We who were naked before God, who deserved eternal wrath, are by faith blessed by the Father. It is one thing to release a person from prison, but it is something else to deluge that same person with all the riches imaginable. But that is what our God has done. We are given an inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. How could this be? O Lord, What is man that you are mindful of him? We respond to your mercy and love, not with a slavish fear and worldly sorrow, but with a reverence that leads us to repentance and a delight to trust God and obey God. This is what the fear of the Lord does. It helps us to fear God, to see him as big 
and us as small. So here's what I want to challenge you with this evening. I want to challenge you with this song. Listen to what the hymn, And Can It Be, says. May the words of this song, in light of what we have just talked about with the fearing the the wrath of God and and letting the the concept and the, the, the reality that hell was your destiny prior to the grace of Jesus being applied to your life. Let this song produce in you like these verses that we've read and like these quotes out of this book produce in you a fear of the Lord. Listen to what it says. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace. Emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for, oh my God, it found out me. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? No condemnation, now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me. Jesus died on a cross for your sins so that you would not have to fear spending eternity in hell. If you're not certain of where you're going to spend eternity, I'd love to talk with you more. Why don't you reach out to me? You can send me an email at tpig, P-I-G-G, at fellowshipchurch.co. You can also visit our website at www.fellowshipchurch.co, and you could reach out to us through there. But I'd love to talk with you about how you can have a personal relationship 
with Jesus. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Text Driven Podcast. If you want to know more about uh, our ministries at Fellowship Church, visit our website, www.fellowshipchurch.co. And until next time, just know, hey, I'm praying for you and God bless you. And look forward to talking with you more about how you can be living a text-driven life. God bless.